The Bible reading this morning is from Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 20, page 198 in your pew Bible. Surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far, easy, far away. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it? No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his way, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinance, then you shall live and become numerous and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses, Choose life that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give, you, give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Deuteronomy, as the book, is uh, the last book in the Pentateuch. Um, and the Pentateuch is the first five books in the Old Testament. They were the Jewish scriptures, and uh, they were uh, considered God's law. But their understanding of law is very different than our understanding. It has more to do with uh, living in such a way that you are more connected with life and joy and connected to God. And uh, so the pretext here in this book of Deuteronomy is that when the Jewish people came back to Jerusalem after being gone for a very long time, uh, rebuilding the city, uh, they rediscovered uh, God's law in such a way uh, that as a city and as a people, they came together and they affirmed uh, that connection with their God, Yahweh. And uh, so there is a reaffirmation of the covenant here. And um, it kind of goes to uh, the, the idea that sometimes we can forget uh, about God, and we can forget about the gospel, uh, just carrying on in our normal, normal busy lives, uh, we can get um, derailed uh, sometimes in thinking that everything is strictly open uh, upon us, and, and we are the ones who have to have uh, control of our own lives and things like that. And the Old Testament writers think that that is not a very uh, good way to um, uh, live your life. And uh, there's something about living your life without being aware of God uh, can be kind of meaningless sometimes and joyless, actually. So what uh, the writer is doing is trying to reestablish the covenant uh, between the Jewish people and their God, uh, Yahweh. 
And, um, and of course, later on, the New Testament literally means new covenant. So um, we're not sure how many covenants were, were established over the years, certainly more than one or two, uh, where the covenant has to be reaffirmed uh, all over again because it has to go from one generation uh, to the next generation. And um, here in this part, uh, we're just kind of, pick, kind of picking this up right out of the context. I mean, there's a whole flow uh, to the story here. And we get to this very important part uh, where uh, the people of Israel are quite overtly presented uh, a choice between life and death. And of course, it is implied that if they commit themselves to Yahweh, that they commit themselves as a partner in the covenant that they will experience joy um, and they will experience what God has promised them all along. Um, and the main thing God has promised uh, the Jewish people is that they would have their own land. And uh, that is probably one of the most important things in, in the Old Testament, and that is the promise of land. And so, um, Part of the promise then is this expectation uh, that God will give them a land. And of course, uh, the very end of Deuteronomy has uh, the death of Moses and his burial, uh, and the whole five books of the first, uh, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, are written in such a way that they are the last will and testament of Moses. So it is written in such a way. Uh, that uh, it attributes all of these, all of these happenings uh, with, with Moses and this relationship that Moses had with Yahweh. And so they eventually uh, do come to the border of the Promised Land here in Deuteronomy, and uh, Moses is not allowed to go into the, the new Promised Land because of some, something that happened uh, in the desert. And so he can see it from where he is, and that's where he died, is seeing the promised land but not going into the promised land. And it's a little bit sad uh, the way that that uh, kind of turns out. If it was a movie, we would want Moses to go in and be triumphant, and uh, that would be the conclusion of our movie about uh, Moses. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, everything points to the claim that that God is the only God, that Yahweh is the only God. And uh, it's that affirmation uh, that is the silver thread uh, through uh, perhaps the whole Bible. Uh, and that is the idea that we really do depend on God uh, for what we do and uh, guiding our lives. But we do have the choice. We can either uh, follow God's promptings in our lives as possibilities open to us in new ways, or uh, we could just carry on with our own lives in the way that we normally do. And you can be a very normal person, you can be uh, wise and highly educated, and you can have lots of money, but if you don't have that kind of uh, guidance in your life uh, that is provided by Yahweh, uh, then there is a sense of, of it all being for naught. And you've probably seen the uh, bumper sticker where it says the, the one with the last, the one with the most toys, I forget what it was. <laughs> the one with the most toys wins. Yeah, thank you. 
<laughs> I want to think about that choice, though, this morning, and that is, um, it's not literally death or literally life in sort of a straightforward way. It's not like if you follow God, you're going to win the lottery. Or if you follow God, you're going to be ecstatically happy every moment of your lives. Uh, and if you uh, follow God, then you will experience uh, property and possessions beyond your, your dreams. And uh, of course, later on in Christianity, that became known as uh, uh, the gospel of wealth. Um, and there are a lot of people who, who believe in that. All you have to do is watch uh, TV on a Sunday morning and you will see all kinds of Christian programs uh, making the case that God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to have that house you want or that car you want. Uh, and so somehow uh, the gospel gets lost uh, in that kind of thing. And of course, uh, the gospel is a very simple thing to understand. Uh, and that is just the good news uh, that uh, God is very involved in our lives uh, and that God wants life for us and not death. And so uh, it, it caused me to think about uh, this whole issue of death. Uh, and sometimes uh, it, is, um, it is so simple and straightforward when we experience the death of a loved one that, that it seems uncomplicated, but it's very, very complicated. But it's possible, I think, to be fully alive and yet considered dead. I know in the, uh, in the Jewish way of thinking, uh, they waited. When somebody died, they waited uh, for two or three days uh, to, to call, call them dead. And, um, and they, made other, uh, they had other laws of behaviors uh, that kind of gave respect to the person who died and to give them time. Uh, to move along or to come back or whatever happens. And so we realize that uh, death is a very complicated thing. You can't just point to it and say that's dead. Or you can't point to something and say, well, that's alive. Um, I think it's possible, and the Bible alludes to this, and that is that, that, that there are ways of living your life in such a way that you are really dead. And that's how some people are regarded. Uh, and they carry on with their lives, they're very good people, uh, they do all of the right things, and yet, uh, yet they, they feel no meaning in their lives. And so this choice uh, between life and death is a quite profound choice. And it doesn't mean that you have to choose death in the literal sense, or choose life in the literal sense, because what's behind the promise, as I said, uh, is the promise that God will provide land for them. They will provide many children. And uh, to the Jewish ears, that meant immortality in a way that we don't understand. We think that living beyond the death of our bodies is immortality. And the Jews didn't think of it that way. Uh, their, their sense of uh, the, the future and uh, God's guidance is that, that there would be a future for you and your children and, and all of that. So established in, a, in your own land, in your own home, with your own people, uh, is the measure of success in your life. And of course we see that over and over again in the, in the book of Genesis that we're, we're studying right now. Uh, and that is that with 
without children, there is no future. And you can be quite, quite wealthy like Abraham was, uh, and his wife were too old to have children. And uh, how much joy would they experience in their lives with all that they had without any children? And of course, no children or a, a closed womb meant no future. And so, so much of what we're learning in Genesis uh, hinges on the idea that God is the one who brings life. Um, and uh, the idea of a, a closed womb is probably one of the more powerful metaphors uh, of hopelessness that we have in the Bible. Um, and so we go story after story about a very famous uh, female uh, biblical figure, uh, and it says that her womb is closed. That's code for no future. And the Jews really did not have any sense at all about life after the death of our bodies. It all had to do with this life, land in this life, wealth in this life, children in this life, family, tribe in this life. So the benefits of being right with God in, in the, the Old Testament uh, means uh, that you, you, you make sure that God is the only God in your life and that you don't um, follow uh, other gods like they were tempted to do in, in the land of Cana. Uh, and so a lot of Jews just kind of worship all the different gods of the culture that they were in. And so this determination in the book of Deuteronomy is a determination to be uh, and to allow God to be God and we will be your children if you be our God. And so uh, there's sort of a simple logic uh, to uh, what it means to fully live and the, the idea of, of being free in the absolute sense uh, doesn't make any sense really uh, because we are so connected we're the person we are because of all the connections that we've had in our lives and so to be free uh, from all those connections you wouldn't exist so it's not a choice between uh, freedom and death it's a choice between life and death um, and again it's a little hard to know uh, when life begins and when it ends. So there's a lot, of, a lot of room to maneuver in people's lives. And, uh, it, and so it gets a little weird in the Old Testament when we want to put it in such black and white terms, life or death. Uh, so what the real question then is, uh, do you want to go with God and uh, experience life? Or do you want to go your own way uh, worship whatever God you want and not experience any meaning from that. So life and death had a lot more to do with meaning uh, than anything else. And there are ways that uh, maybe looking over your own life, I certainly look over my life and think that there were times in, in my life that I just felt dead. I felt dead to the word of God. I felt dead to uh, hope for the future. And so I think in our own lives we experience both life and death. So it's not really a choice between two ways, uh, two, uh, two blatant ways of, of living, uh, but it is, it is being guided by God's law, that is the, uh, the Pentateuch, um, and, and that will lead you. That will lead you down the path where you need to go as one of God's children. 
Um, and so this is one of those great moments in the Bible where the basic choice is, uh, do you want to commit yourself to Yahweh or do you want to commit yourself uh, to Baal, which was the main god of Cana? And um, it was ne never very easy. Um, so the identity of Israel is a very, very important point in this whole text. You know, who are, who are they? They are the children of God. And what is their function? Well, it is to embody that relationship, that covenantal relationship with God. And uh, why do they need to embody that? And well, it's because uh, they are going to be an example to all the Gentiles about what it looks like and what it means to be connected with God. And so uh, it's not just something that we you know, get on our knees and pray to God privately, although that's very important. Uh, the, the, the group that's being talked about in the whole Pentateuch is the community, uh, the Jewish community. And so it's not individualistic in the way we've become. Uh, so they would come together as a people and say, we all together rededicate ourselves to the law of God or the path of God uh, because, we, because we want to experience uh, you know, building our land up again. We want to experience the joy of that and settled in that and uh, having children and passing your wealth down from one generation to the next. And that was, that was really what they were looking for, that kind of uh, freedom. Of course, the heart of this relationship between Yahweh and uh, human beings, it, it's defined in terms of the covenant. Uh, that's made. And uh, covenant making might seem like an old idea to us, but it, it is as current as it was uh, back in the old days. And of course, uh, most, of the, uh, most of the ways that people make covenants uh, have to do with borrowing money, for example, uh, and you sign the documents that you take the car and you pay that much. Um, so that's, a, that's an agreement, that's a treaty. Uh, that's a covenant. But the covenant has more to do with the per person, person between person and person. And so uh, when somebody comes up to the front of the church, uh, all dressed up to be married, uh, the center part of that, uh, the focus of that wedding is on the vows that they will make to one another. And uh, a wedding is probably the clearest uh, example of what a co covenant looks like. I promise to be uh, your husband or wife, and you know the promises are made back and forth, and uh, so the covenant is what makes the family, um, and so uh, that's why it, w it has been uh, very, very important, I think, uh, for everyone, including gay people and everybody who feels excluded, that they have an opportunity to participate in the covenant relationship with God whether it be through marriage, uh, whether it be through all the other communities that we live in, uh, that we then become an example, not only all of us together, uh, but each one of us as an individual, of what it looks like to be in that kind of a covenant with, with the Creator, and in such a way that no matter what happens to us, we have hope, and we have joy, and we have a sense of peace, even though we might be battling uh, so many different things that are going on in the world, but still at the center of things is that still uh, quiet place that we have. And that's where we often hear uh, the voice of God, 
And um, that's what we were trying for, anyway, for the Taze uh, meditation service, is just setting the mood uh, so that we can get beyond our rationality, get beyond our, uh, all of our excuses and things that distract us in so many ways, and very intentionally come together as a group and to have this sort of awareness together of participating in the covenant with God. And so we do that Sunday after Sunday. That's why we come here, uh, because to be encouraged and to have that relationship with, with Yahweh. And so our God is the only God. But that doesn't mean we know who that God is fully, uh, because that God, whoever that God is, uh, is the creator of all things, of all people, and of everything that we experience. And so that's why we can come without prejudice against any other religion, come here and practice our own sense of the relationship between us and Yahweh. And so the hope is that once we come together and reaffirm that covenant, that we will uh, leave the doors of the church today and go out into the world in such a way that we come from a different place than we did this morning or yesterday. So there is that place in us, there is that voice in us that is calm, that is directive, and very, very loving. And so may God bless you in your own life as you struggle with all the things that you have to struggle with, that somehow you can hear the voice of God amidst all of that chaos. And if you are, your lives are going well, we will rejoice about that. And so we are that community that comes together to practice uh, being together as God's people. And so uh, I always pray for this church because this church is all of us, the Brea Congregational UCC. That's who we are, uh, and we strive to be in alignment with God's uh, idea, um, purpose of, of what life should look like uh, with God. So may God bless us all. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Creating God, you fill our lives with choices, offering us endless moments of grace where, as your partners, we can bring into the world beauty and peace. This morning, in the face of grief and violence in our world, we choose gratitude. Thank you, God, for teachers of all kinds who instruct, guide, and, and excite us about the vast worlds of knowledge where we can choose to explore and discover. Thank you, God, for parents who nurture and protect, who brought us into this world and then sent us on our way to develop, grow, and create our own voice, style, and family. Thank you, God, for children who are full of innocence, wonder, excitement, and light. They remind us to take loving care of that very precious child still living in us all. Thank you, God, for scientists who bring the physical world into clearer view and for artists who wrap it in mystery and wonder. Thank you, God, for preachers, rabbis, imams, prophets, and popes who challenge, teach, and open to us your word so that we may see the delicious promises of peace, hope, and transformation. Thank you, God, for life. Thank you for each new day, new moment, new color, new thought, new options from which we can choose. 
We acknowledge the pain and violence that is in our world, and we pay, pray for peace and understanding. We make that prayer not just with our words, but with our actions as we rededicate ourselves to being the teachers, parents, children, scientists, artists, and ministers who choose actions and thoughts every day that are for life, for understanding, for love, respect, and peace. We open ourselves to you, to being your partners in healing the world and mending the broken bonds among the universal family of God. Trusting in this divine partnership, we pray as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.